0: when the replay official did not stop I, the game. I'm not going to comment on that. I'll get fined for the rest of my life if I get
1: commented on that.
0: We had a great belief in our locker room. We didn't have to do anything special, just be us. I was so proud of this team. We had so much fun, it ought to be illegal.
2: Coach Harris, they talk. Is that something you just ignore?
1: Yeah, yeah, you, you ignore because one week you're getting fired and the next week you're going to take another job. And I'm worried about the darn SEC West Championship. And so, yes, to answer your question.
0: Our purpose is to win, make no mistake about it. But it's to win the right way. And our goal, our stated goal, is going to be to win the Sunbelt, uh, sorry, to win the SEC East.
2: Talk about the reception
0: you received from the fan, fan base. Did you ever think you'd be kissing and hugging babies at the tarmac
1: when you got out the point? Um, a lot better than another tarmac experience that I had. <laughs> I didn't think of that. It was, like, it was like an anniversary or something like that. We're coming. We're coming. And we ain't backing down. And as, my, as the head football coach at South Carolina,
2: my job is to do what I feel is best for the University of South
0: Carolina football program today and going forward in the future. And that's what I did. We wish him well and uh, have nothing but uh, 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 we, we wish him well.
3: Welcome in. To the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm flying solo for this show, but don't worry. I got a terrific guest lined up. We got Jake Wimberly of ESPN, Mississippi, and CFB Hourglass. He's going to be joining the show here to talk some SEC over, under, Win total. So we'll get to that in a moment here, but uh, hey, we got some news here. Breaking news right as we hopped on the pod here. And it's unfortunate. So we got to start here in Athens. Oh,
2: no! Sick <laughs>
3: Where obviously the Bulldogs already down George Pickens. Now news is Jermaine Burton, big play receiver for the Georgia Bulldogs. I'd say he and Kiaris Jackson, the best receivers left on the Georgia roster with George Pickens out I first saw this uh posted by Mike Griffith Dog Nation friend of the pod but Burton gone down at practice looks like a knee injury do not know the extent of it at this time so hopefully this is no big deal Georgia looks to be the injury bug has snuck up and bit Georgia it looks like here in camp but Again, this is not the end of the world. I mean, this is uh, Jermaine Burton really started to emerge last season, particularly when old JT Daniels got into the lineup. So Georgia's still pretty deep at the receiver position. Hopefully Jermaine Burton doesn't miss any time. You know, maybe this is uh, all for naught here. Let's hope it is. But uh, just wanted to share that. And Georgia has not released anything as of recording here at uh, 8 o'clock Central Time on Tuesday. So that's where we're at with that, but just hoping for the best for old Jermaine Burton on that one. All right, next, let's uh, let's hop it all down to College Station real quick.
0: Gigam Aggies.
3: Big storyline there with the Aggies. Obviously the quarterback position. Who's going to be the starting quarterback? Played clips late last week on Jimbo, sharing his thoughts on the fact that it's never a good idea to kind of go in with preconceived notions. But I think an equally important storyline For the Aggies this spring camp is that offensive line replacing four of five starters from arguably the best offensive line in college football last year. I know Alabama officially got that Joe Moore award, so they were proclaimed the best, and I certainly wouldn't dispute that. I mean, Texas A&M right there, though, neck and neck with Alabama, but either way, you're talking, at worst, Maybe the nation's number two offensive line here having to be totally rebuilt. And Jubo gets all this credit for being a quarterback developer, and he's earned that. But, hell, the system doesn't work. If he cannot identify, develop, and insert these offensive linemen into the system like he's been doing for year after year after year, sending four guys to the NFL this offseason, how Are they going to identify the guys next to step up? I thought this was some really good insight from Coach Fisher on the position that just never gets enough love, in my opinion.
2: Coach, whether it's the offensive lineman working out at Pro day today or the offensive lineman you have at spring camp uh, fighting for a position next year, What are the little things that differentiate, you know, one offensive lineman to the next and and how you evaluate which one puts you in the best position to succeed? Well, I mean, I I think there's certain quality. You got to have certain size, speed, flexibility, all that stuff. But I'm going to tell you ingredients up front in my, in my opinion. And we don't, I mean, intelligence, the amount of information you have to process besides quarterback, you have to process as much or more information on the offensive line as any position in football. I mean, it's a highly, highly intelligent, Position that you have to be able to process information at. You have to have a certain level of toughness. There's got to be a supreme level. If you're tough and you're smart, you truly have. Because I've seen guys that are gifted that can bend, that can run, that can lift, and can move. But processing the information and downright tough. Because listen, you're going to get pounded each and every play. You're going to be banged, bruised, being able to play with pain, being able to do things. Toughness and intelligence in the offensive line is two ingredients that you cannot have if you're going to have a successful line it's, it's that simple and I mean you know, there's a competitive nature and the strength and the lower body flexibility which is next I mean to bend play low to high like, great power and all that stuff but hat speed but I mean I was steps and step some balance and I mean there's a hundred things but I'm gonna tell you two qualities you know intelligent tough guys boy if they start there you got a chance
3: hey hopefully we don't got too many defensive linemen listening to the show because <laughs> I mean Jimbo went there I've always heard the arguments with between offensive linemen and defensive linemen Smart guys go to one side of the ball (laughs) and the others go to defense. That's a joke. You know, that's obviously not uh, a blanket statement we can make, but there's a lot to what Jibo's saying here. I mean, the offensive line's got to have so much read and react. They've got to know so many cues. They've got to know the audibles. It's much different than working on that defensive line. So I just thought those were some really good comments here. And it's so early that Texas a and not going to have any answers at that offensive line position yet. Got to see how this unit gels during the spring. But that's one of the biggest storylines to work with. And that's something that when I saw these uh, win totals that we're going to get to here with Jake Wimberly, that's part of the reason why I give the slight edge to LSU. Because Texas A&M, you're totally rebuilding your line. LSU, meanwhile, bringing everybody back on that offensive line. They're all seniors, I believe. One of them might be a redshirt junior. I can't remember. But either way, you're getting an extremely veteran, experienced offensive line on one side. On the other, you got an inexperienced, for the most part, offensive line. And you're going to be playing an inexper- inexperienced quarterback. Phil, I know the Aggies are loaded. I've been saying I think their defense probably going to be the best in the SEC next year. So I'm not saying doom and gloom here by any means. But two big positions to figure out. It's not just the quarterback position that folks need to be thinking about when they think about the Aggies. All right, let's jump it old dad to Oxford real quick. What Miss Lane Kiffin recently met with the media after you know the, the Rebels have had one week of spring practice currently in week two, and so much hype with the old Miss program bringing so many guys back, and not only that, but I believe the Rebels. I'm I'm still uh, compiling all this data. It's been You would not believe how hard it is to get 14 teams uh, to, to round up the information for 14 teams when it comes to these super seniors. If you've heard that term, those are the seniors from last season that have decided to return for yet another season, which is, of course, something they were eligible to do thanks to the NCAA giving out a free season of eligibility. We call them those super seniors, I guess, but that's the term I've been... I've heard being thrown around. Why I mentioned that, Ole Miss leads the SEC in super seniors, if I'm not mistaken. Again, I have to round up all the uh, information before I can kind of confirm that. But that should tell you the players are on the lane train, fully aboard there in Oxford. And with so much returning on offense, we know that's not going to be the issue. But if Ole Miss is going to take that next step, I mean, now more than ever, this game of football is all about. It's just a quarterback game. It's that's what it is. I'm not saying if you have an All American or potentially Heisman candidate here in Matt Corral, not saying that means Ole Miss can win the national championship. But I'm saying they can't get there unless he plays to that caliber. And for the most part, you know, he lived up to it. He he certainly was a breakout star of the SEC last season. Had a clunker against Arkansas. It was a really good game plan by Barry Odom. And I just went back and watched that game. That was one where there was wind and all kinds of craziness. It was some nasty weather out there. The LSU game he had a number of turnovers in that contest as well. So here's Lane Kiffin talking about Matt Corral going into year two of the offense and kind of how they're trying to avoid those issues next season to make Matt a more consistent player for the Rebels.
0: Lane, what, what have you seen from Matt so far this spring?
1: Um, he's done well. Um, I think he's kind of going, you know, which is normal. He's a returning starter now, which he's never been. So, you know, now you kind of, you know, expect more of him. And, you know, instead of just playing quarterback now, you know, especially with a lot of guys out, he's got some newer people running around out there. So, lining those guys up and helping those guys. and having a better understanding of the entire offense instead of just what he needs to do, um, you know, has been a good progression for him.
2: When he got going in a couple of those multi-interception games, only two, um, was that an example of him needing to grow mentally, as he
0: described to us, or was that kind of a gunslinger mentality that, as a coach,
1: you just know is there sometimes? No, I think that's a product of him being young, and I think that's a product of us, you know, working with him for the first time, having obviously no seasons before, let alone even spring game, um, spring scrimmages. So, you know, I, th- I think that we have a better understanding of him and, you know, would call if that, you know, history were repeating itself in a game, you know, we would call things a little bit different knowing that, that he has that in him. So, um, I think just like with all your players, you know, as you have a better understanding the longer you've been with them, especially at quarterback, you know, the, the better that they play and the better that you manage them. All right, there you have it from Coach. And don't forget, man,
3: Lane Kiffin, you know, he's got a hell of a track record himself of developing these quarterbacks. And we saw it. We've already seen it play out there in Oxford. Matt Corral looks like a hell of a player. They've got some interesting options behind him. But, you know, I think it's fair to say Ole Miss does not have the roster for fans to be expecting them to win the SEC West next season. But I'm not ruling it out either because just look at how Kyle Trask elevated Florida last year to that SEC East title. Look how, I know Mac Jones had a hell of a roster around him, but I mean, he was just incredible. Led Alabama National Championship. JT Daniels, when he got in there for Georgia, really led them to a hot finish to the season we I mean, go on and on and on I mean the teams that disappointed didn't have quarterbacks the teams that did are looking good in the SEC so not certainly not ruling it out it's going to be on Matt Corral's shoulder that may be too much for him to bear but that's kind of the way I see it heading into uh, the fall now when I was talking about the super seniors here's one other comment here from Lane Kevin. kind of why I bring it up I'm looking at the Ole Miss roster here and i I don't think all these guys are scholarship, but they have 30 defensive backs listed on the spring roster with all the early enrollees included there. But all of a sudden, I mean, this was a position group last fall, if you recall, Ole Miss was switching guys from receiver to defensive back just to have players on the field. And now as like scout team, they were switching receivers who had never played defensive back and starting them in football games. You go back, I know Ole Miss fans don't want to think about the Auburn matchup, but there at the end of the game you had it, and what happened? Some inexperienced defensive backs. Uh, I believe it was you know, just poor angling and tackling and all that. Seth Williams goes to the house. Auburn wins the football game. Uh, as much as we want to blame the refs, and rightfully so, I mean that was a game-defining play as well. So now Ole Miss is heading into the season with a ton of experience, a ton of bodies on that defensive backfield. And Lane Kiffin makes an interesting point here with just the fact that, hey, it's no surprise what we're seeing, the offensive explosion in the SEC. But you got to counter that by having enough defensive backs to keep them fresh because just you just can't keep guys on the field the entire game the way football is being played these days. So let's uh, kick it over to Coach Kiffin.
0: Lane, when you have a position group like the secondary, where I think you have all of your returning starters and then also seven or eight mid-year guys, what are you looking for in that group with so many new bodies and returning bodies?
1: First to find the best players, um, then to you know develop depth because you know we played too many snaps last year, um, which is part of not getting off the field, but it's also individually not having quality depth to where – you know, you're rotating guys as much as you like. And so I think that that's the evolution. Everyone talks about all that's evolution of defense, you know. I think most really good defenses, I bet, you know, when you look at it, they rotate players at some point because it's hard, especially if you're playing faster offenses, Um, you know, which you see another one coming in the conference, you know, with Tennessee, um, you know, can't play 80 plays. You You can't play at a high level. so. You know, depth is huge, especially back there where your mileage is a lot higher because you're running around so much and playing special teams. All right, he mentions
3: Tennessee for a reason there, folks. Not because he's thinking about going to Rocky Top. (laughs) Sorry, Cousin Shea. But because they play at Tennessee this season. So, hey, this is just the chess game of uh, putting your roster together and everything. So it's interesting that uh, Kiffin's got his eye on that. If Ole Miss is going to be significantly... Better on the defensive side of the ball. I think it's going to be because of that defensive backfield, takes a huge step forward with better talent and better depth. All right, final stop here before we get to our interview here with Jake Wimberly. Let's kick it on down to Starkville. <laughs> We're old Mike Leach. We haven't heard from the Pirate here in a while, but uh, you know, a lot of the same things for the Mississippi State Bulldogs that I've said. All offseason about Kentucky can be applied here. Mississippi State looked like the program was kind of not in the ditch, but (laughs) we had two tires (laughs) on the side of the road trending that way, and they managed to steer the ship. I know they lost against Georgia, but they looked outstanding in that game. They whipped the shit out of Missouri if you recall, and they beat an underrated Tulsa team that was actually ranked in the bowl game. I know the brawl was uh, the storyline, but the storyline for me was this defense showed up, did their thing in a nasty weather and, and out physical a tough Tulsa team. A lot to like about Mississippi State, and looking at it this way too, you know, Mike Leach has been at other conferences, so I've not followed uh, his teams that closely in years past, but my God, I mean, they played so many freshmen and sophomores last season. You're going to take your lumps, which they did, obviously. But now they're going into year two of all this. Maybe this is a core of uh, a team, very young team, that is going to make a run, maybe not necessarily this year, but in the years to come. And it's got to start by taking a big step this season. I know they'd love to get uh, win in that Egg Bowl there, but they've got the quarterback to build around. Will Rogers, another, yet the latest. I know he's a local kid, but another Unheralded Jim, I think is a, a fair way to call him. I know he didn't sign up to play for Mike Leach, but Mike Leach, most Mississippi State fans I know that I would assume know the story. Mike Leach was one of his uh, one of his only power five offers there when he was coaching Washington State. So maybe it was destiny. Will Rogers playing for Mike Leach, but he looked very solid. He looked better as the season went on. Coach Leach talks about what he wants to see from Will Rogers.
0: You know, with with Will in particular, what specifically
2: are you kind of looking for from him this spring, uh, I guess, to kind of lock down or as he tries to, to lock down and maintain that starter role?
4: Well, the biggest thing, I want him to uh, uh, do a great job commanding uh, the unit and elevating and moving the offense, and I think he does a good job of that. Um, the other thing is I'd like to uh, further, you know, polish and more efficiently run the plays that – you know, he's already relatively good at. Um, any he plays he's not uh, so quick at uh, reacting to. I want to speed that up. Uh, but overall, I guess, uh, you yeah, know, I'd like to see the ball come off his hand a little quicker as far as uh, uh, when he sorts what he sees and puts it on him. All right, so while Will Rogers, you know, looked pretty solid in
3: his first season there at Mississippi State, the unit that uh, kind of really hindered the, the entire team last year. I hate to put it all in one unit here, but the offensive line, I mean, at times they were embarrassingly bad. That's something that has to be addressed this offseason. And it's not to say that Mississippi State doesn't have some talented offensive linemen. Hell, they got Charles Cross at left tackle, former five-star recruit. Uh, LaQuinston Sharp's a hell of a guard. Cole Smith's a good center. I mean, they've got pieces to build around. And it seems like that unit is coming around early in spring camp here. Let's kick it back to Mike Leach real quick.
4: I don't know if you've
2: talked about it yet, but just your thoughts on the offensive line so far. Obviously, they got better as the season went along last year. Have you seen that momentum or any strides taken from that group?
4: I think we've improved on the O-line. I I would say uh, offensively, um, tentatively speaking, because I hope they don't change my mind. But they may be the group I've been most impressed with offensively uh, up to this point in the season, as far or in the spring season, as far as improvement. Um, You know, we've got some new faces out there uh, that I think have reacted and responded really well. Kind of follow up on that. How much of that do you think he's just getting more comfortable in the system with the offensive line, just getting more reps in it? I think it's a I think the two biggest factors are getting more comfortable in the reps, but then the other thing which I think is a huge factor, is I don't think we were in particularly good shape last year, uh, you know because with all the interruptions with COVID and you know the lifting and running was all splintered up, and then with people who was on uh, uh, quarantine, I think uh, in too many cases, they sat home watched TV and ate uh all the time and so then um we're in a lot better shape uh than we were you know we can uh go faster longer and then uh you know as you're trying to execute something i think that 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 little bit helps you know because you're talking about we looked at a bunch of plays last year um if we could have just gotten half a second all we need is half a second you know whether the receiver gets open quicker Quarterback reacts to it quicker, but in many cases, um, <clears throat> the O line protects and we get half a second. Well, we're, a lot, uh, we're getting uh, that, that half a second a lot more often.
3: All right, if you picked it up there, the common theme of what Mike Leach is touching on here getting the ball out of your hands quickly and just maintaining your blocks a half second longer. Yes, I mean, any coach will say that. I mean, it's kind of an obvious thing. But it's vastly more important when you look at a team like Mississippi State. They led the entire nation in percentage of pass plays among Power 5 teams. 73% of the time, Mississippi State threw the ball. So if you throw in it 73% of the time, the next closest is Purdue at 64. Three out of four, Mississippi State's throwing the football. That is not going to work. And it didn't when the offensive line is not holding up, when the quarterback is not getting the ball out of his hands quick enough. If that, if nothing else, and I'm sure there's going to be, you know, the receivers can get better. The defense played outstanding. I thought for the most part, given the talent they had and in a new system playing an all sec schedule, you know, all those factors, they could, they could get marginally better. If, Will Rogers gets the ball out of his hands quicker and this offensive line comes together and figures out the system, the pass blocking in Mike Leach's system. Mississippi State, mark my words here, they are going to be one of the more improved teams in the SEC next season. Let's kick it over to our interview with my man, Jake Wimberly. Pleased to be joined by my buddy, Jake Wimberly. you can find him at Jake Wim on the Twitters. He's a must follow. And the main reason I wanted to have him on outside of being, in my opinion, the best radio host in the state of Mississippi. He hosts the afternoon drive from three to six on ESPN radio 105.9. But he also runs the CFB hourglass.com. Got to check it out. And he has put out some win totals for the SEC season. So Jake, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate you.
0: Michael, I always appreciate you. appreciate you having me on, man. Looking forward to it. And uh, we're getting closer and closer through spring football. SEC Media Days will be here before you know it.
3: Yeah, I don't know about you, but my timeline filled up with too much basketball. So I really appreciate you <laughs> throwing out these over-unders. Uh, I was going back and forth with a lot of fans. If Again, you can find all that at CFBHourglass.com or Jake Wim has tweeted out. I've tweeted out, so you can catch all that information there. But uh, let's run down the list real quick here. Top of the list for your CFP hourglass over unders: Georgia and Alabama both. You got them listed at ten and a half there. So, I mean, we're really splitting hairs right here. Is it? What are your thoughts on those numbers? I mean, any of those you're more you know more confident than the other with Georgia and Alabama at the ten and a half?
0: Well, I think you got to look at, as we, we know, you got to go schedules first, and then you got to talk about returning talent. We know that Alabama and Georgia both return, you know, top-tier talent. You know, on, a, on my scale, which I gauge it on a three-year metric, not a four, and we can get into that later on, on why I, I choose to do three-year metrics on talent evaluation versus four. But you look at them, they're both Alabama and Georgia, the two most talented teams in the country. Now, you're splitting hairs when you start talking about roster talent there, <clears throat> excuse me, for both teams. But let's start with Georgia first. Georgia's going to be the predominant favorite to win the East this year. We know that. They return JT Daniels, who by all accounts could be the best quarterback in the SEC. Uh, That's debatable as well. But, again, he's a top-tier talent. Uh, Showed that, I think, talent late last year in 2020. Um, Georgia's going to – and it comes down to two games for Georgia. It really does this year. It comes down to that opener against Clemson, and a lot of people are going to have Clemson as pegged as, you know, one, two, three in in their poll coming out. Uh, as as polls start to drop and rankings start to drop headed into the summer. But it comes down to that game. And then, of course, the Florida game is is the other big game. Now, the question is for Kirby Smart, if you're talking win totals, is is he going to drop a game that he should – you know, a game against the South Carolina, a game against the Tennessee? Uh, You know, will Auburn sneak up and beat Georgia? So, I mean, I think when you look at Georgia, they're predominantly a 10-win team, and, and Vegas win totals will be out here. Uh, in the next couple of weeks as well, Michael. So it's kind of trying to outguess Vegas and where they're going to be. Uh, I enjoy doing this kind of stuff. Of course, we do a lot with the sports gaming industry here in the state of Mississippi. So I think you go, yes, absolutely. Georgia's a 10-win team. The question is, are they better than 10 wins? Are they going to be? Are they going to beat Clemson? Are they going to beat Florida? Are they going to run the table? Same for Alabama. I mean, it's hard to bet against Nick Saban. We know that. But with two new coordinators, a new quarterback, uh, you know, a new running back, a lot of new faces on that offense. It comes down, is Nick Saban going to drop one? You know, they play Miami in that first game, and, and Miami, they're going to be, you know, Alabama will be the favorite in that game, and, as, as they should, but they're going to be up against a Miami team that's got De'Aaron King coming back for another year. This is Manny Diaz's best team. They've got, uh, you know, Rambo, the receiver from Oklahoma, has transferred in. So they're going, to, they're going to press and test Alabama in that first game, and then you look at other games. How good is Alabama going to be? Are they going to drop a game to a Texas A&M team? maybe get upset in the iron bowl. So 10 and a half is kind of where I set it for both teams. If you're, if you're playing the numbers, um, both teams absolutely could run the table, but then you could see both teams lose a game that would put you, you know, right there at that 10 wins, which would push you under the half game.
3: Now, let me ask you about the two you got right under them, LSU and Texas A&M both at nine and a half. Again, kind of splitting hairs with these two SEC West rivals. I was thinking that earlier, but now that spring's in the air and we're you know recapping what these teams have, I don't like the fact that a uh, and m's got inexperience on the offensive line and the quarterback position, so how close are those two teams in your mind right now?
0: I think they're very close and, and again, you know Vegas will do this. They will throw that hook if you want to go play it at your local casino uh, or play it on you know online or just with your buddies in the office. They're going to throw that hook to make you go you know, under nine and a half or over nine, which means, okay, do you think LSU and do you think Texas A&M, you know, both teams, are they nine-win teams? Or are they ten-win teams? And you're right. Look, Jimbo Fisher has recruited at, at a high level. He's definitely, in, you know, improved the recruiting footprint and profile at Texas A&M. The question is, like you said, that offensive line and then at quarterback, what does that quarterback position look like for Texas A&M? There's a, a lot of high praise for some young guys on that, on that uh, roster in that quarterback room, but they've yet to play a game. Same way for LSU. You know, LSU's got a lot of outside noise, too, with everything that's going on with the Les Miles situation and then, of course, the Ed Orgeron uh, situation going on there. He's breaking into two new coordinators. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm forced to play this thing uh, on both teams, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean, soft lean Texas A&M over nine and a half, and I may push LSU right there at nine, which would push you under. But, I, I mean, again, these two teams play each other, so that could be for the 10th win for both teams.
3: All right, next up, you got Florida with a nine at the over-under. And they're kind of a wild card for me because they lost so much. And obviously, there was the Dan Mullen NFL rumors. And now he's going into a year where I think he's only got three years left on his contract. So, I don't know. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes drama, but that's nothing new with Dan Mullen. We all know he may be one of the best five coaches in the nation. So, I mean, Florida could, could take a big step. They could stay right there. Or I... I think it's conceivable that they take a step back. So how, how difficult was it to peg Florida at that uh, nine-win total?
0: You know, you look at Dan Mullen, and, and again, you're right. I, you could argue that he's one of the top five coaches in the country, especially the way that he develops quarterbacks. The problem for me with Mullen, after seeing him, you know, here in the state of Mississippi for almost a decade or right at it, and look, he's done a really great job at Florida. Finally got to the SEC title game. If they make a stop or two, they probably beat Alabama, or at least they're right there to beat Alabama for the SEC championship game, and they may have made the college football playoff, but losing a lot of talent. Now, they have a lot of talent coming in. Transfer running back from Clemson. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, He's used the transfer portal and used it well. For Mullen, though, it it comes down to this for me. Mullen's got to show that he's a big game coach, And, and typically what you see with Dan Mullen is if he plays three teams in a season where, and I did a piece on this several years ago. I'll have to find it and put it out there, but Mullen uh, typically, if he plays three teams in a season that are more talented teams, he's going to lose two of three. Well, they got to play Alabama this year. That's a better recruiting team. That's a better talented team. They play Georgia, who's got more talent, and LSU, who's got you know more talent. So if they lose, if he stays on that track at two out of three, if he's going to lose two out of three, well, I mean you're already back down to ten wins, and then if he loses three out of three, you're back to nine. So I think it comes back to you know. I, does he lose a game against a Kentucky like he did year one at Florida, or does he lose a game against you know, a, a revamped Tennessee team? Does that come into play? Emory Jones, a quarterback, what would that look like, or what does the quarterback situation look like? But for Mullen, you've got to project that he's going to have a good quarterback. He has just about every year he's been a head football coach in the SEC. So, you know, nine just seems to be the right fit uh, on the games. That, you know, it comes down literally to, to three games, the LSU game, the Alabama game, and the Georgia game. What does he look like in those games as a head football coach? Can he coach in those moments, and can he win two of those three ball games, or and not drop one to, say, a Tennessee or a Kentucky? So nine just seemed to be the perfect fit for Florida.
3: All right, so you made a lot of friends on Rocky Top here, brother, because you got Tennessee <laughs> next on the list, seven and a half, and I'm sure you're getting some hate mail from Oxford because you got Ole Miss at seven. I figured that would surprise a lot of people. Thoughts on why you got Tennessee just a, just a hair over Ole Miss, who actually does play at Tennessee this year?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, Tennessee has – and I, this is no secret, Tennessee continues to recruit well. And, you know, there's been some misses in recruiting. But you look at Tennessee, they've, they've got really good talent. Now, they're not, they don't have Georgia talent. I'm not sure they have Florida talent, but they've got pretty darn good talent. And then you look at, you know, Josh Heupel, who is an offensive head coach – and he's a guy that's going – and the first time since Lane Kiffin, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, that the Tennessee will have had an offensive-minded head coach. So they're going to try to score the football. They get a transfer quarterback from Virginia Tech who likely will be the starter there in Knoxville. So they've got, they're going to play better offensively. Uh, defensively, they've got some talent. So, you know, uh, talent alone they should be okay defensively. And then a schedule. You know, they've got three non-conference games that they can win. Now, they play Pittsburgh early. That, that could be a dicey game. For, for Tennessee, and then I don't have the schedule in front of me. Who do they play? Obviously, they got to play Alabama. Who's the other West team that they play? Ole Miss. Ole,
3: Ole Miss. It, so they, they host yeah. Ole Miss.
0: So that could be for like an eighth win for both teams. And, mm-hmm. and you know, you because I, I think Tennessee should be obviously Vanderbilt. They should beat Kentucky and South Carolina. They should beat Missouri. You know, you're at, you're at four wins there. If they get three of the four non-cons, you're at seven. Pittsburgh would actually be eight, and that's if everything goes well. And that's without, you know, discussing, um, you know, di- you know upsetting Georgia. Uh, I'd take Alabama off the table at this point in time. You know, what's the, what's the Florida game look like? And, you know, for Ole Miss, they're going to play offense really, really well. Matt Corral, uh, I have him as my number one quarterback on the SEC rankings on college football hourglass, but it's by just a little bit over a JTB annuals preseason. Defensively, though, what does that team look like for Ole Miss? Can they play better uh, defensively? And now that people have seen, you know, a full year of Lane Kiffin as a head football coach in the SEC – what, you know, there's a little bit that you can kind of scheme around uh, if you're a defensive football coach. So, you know, I think both teams are really, really close. Tennessee with a little bit more roster talent than Ole Miss. Uh, Ole Miss was a better quarterback. And, you know, offensively, it's it's tit for tat between, I think, you know, you look at the two head coaches there. So, uh, that game, I think, very well could come, come down to an eighth win for either Tennessee or Ole Miss.
3: Now, how hard was uh, Kentucky to peg? You got them at six and a half, considering they blew up the offensive side of the ball. And... They've had some departures on the offensive line, so and now they're not even having a spring game, so it's a little bit hard to see what they got there on offense. But uh, what are your thoughts on Kentucky at six and a half?
0: Yeah, you know, I got more, I, I think, flack from Kentucky fans than I did anybody putting this out, and <laughs> when you retweeted it, uh, and I get it. I mean, look, Kentucky fans, believe it or not, and it, and you know this, they're they're a very passionate football fan base. Now they're not as passionate, obviously, as they are about basketball, but. You know they have a reason. Stoops has given them a reason to to be optimistic, and rightfully so. That's that's a nice program, but still in recruiting, they're a, they're a mid tier recruiter in the Southeastern Conference. Um, you know their their crossover games, obviously Mississippi State annually. I don't remember who who else they play in the SEC uh, West because I don't have it in front of me. But you look at, at at a team like Kentucky again. The offensive struggles is the big thing. Is can they move the football? Um, you know, there's a chance for Kentucky to get to seven wins. The, to get to even eight wins, if things go things go right, they're going to have, I believe, I, we talked about it on my show the other day, five games that should be probably, you know, a touchdown or less type ball games. And you're mm-hmm. talking about Louisville at the end of the season, Tennessee could be that type of game, Mississippi State, uh, you know, they've owned South Carolina five out of the last six years, but that could be a game that that goes down to the wire. So there's some games out there. I mean, that are going to be coin flip type ball games for Kentucky. They play extremely hard. They're extremely physical. So, you know, six-and-a-half is about where I think you'll see Vegas peg Kentucky. But it would, I wouldn't be surprised if things go well and they find some some answers offensively for Kentucky to get to seven and if things go really well to get to eight.
3: Now, I think uh, the SEC West is just going to be filled with nothing but minds this season for every team in that uh, division. You got Auburn right here at six-and-a-half, Arkansas six, Mississippi State five-and-a-half. So, right there, I mean, you could flip any of those in, in any order, I think – I think he kind of nailed it here, but you know, how difficult do you think it's going to be for some of these teams in the West to you know, have really good seasons, considering how tough the division is? Because I think, like I said, Auburn six and a half, Arkansas six, Mississippi State five and a half. You throw any of those teams in the East, they—I think they could contend for second place in the East next year.
0: No, I would agree with you, and you know, you start with Auburn. I mean, new head football coach, uh, you know, Harson. Is gonna, there's going to be some lumps there in the SEC. They're going they're missing some guys though on the offensive front. There's been some holes in recruiting. They've still got a nice roster, but again, you have got to go back to Bo Nix and and is Bo Nix really the answer at quarterback? Now the way Harson was able to coach quarterbacks at Boise State, we'll see if he can really kind of kind of get out of of uh, Bo Nix what Gus Malzahn could not get out of him. So you have got to go quarterback and and look at at Auburn. They also play at Penn State this year. That's going to be really, really tough. Now Penn State obviously uh, took a step back. It looked like, or either they just didn't care in a you know a shortened, abbreviated 2020 COVID season. But that's still a road trip to Penn State. You got to think that you're going to have fans in the stands. That's going to be a tough road trip for Auburn. Uh, having to play Georgia, having to play Alabama, it's just it's a very tough uh, you know tough run there for Auburn. And, and I think that there, there's a, a, a talent deficit to some degree for Auburn. When you look at Arkansas, that's a much better Arkansas team. We know that. Quarterback will be, again, the question for them, breaking in a new quarterback who Sam Pittman has as his quarterback. But Arkansas, much improved. They beat both Mississippi teams last year in State and Ole Miss. And, I mean, you're talking about a team that's going to be physical. They're going to be in just about every ballgame they play outside of, you know, Alabama. Uh, That Texas game, it'll be interesting to see how they look at, you know, hosting Texas this year. And the same way for Mississippi State, you know, Mike Leach is putting some pieces together offensively. He's found his quarterback in, you know, now sophomore Will Rogers – They've got some guys that can play wide receiver, but how efficient can the air rate be in season two? So it looks like, you know, somewhat of a cannibalization among the SEC teams, especially when you're talking about Arkansas and then uh, Mississippi state throw Auburn in the mix and look Ole Miss right there as well. They're, they're not leaps and bounds better than any of those three. And then, you know, Texas A&M, if things don't work out for them, I mean, we could see Jimbo Fisher take a step back and lose a couple of those games as well. So in, in LSU, so, I mean, I, I don't know. I think the SEC West, I want to say that it's wide open. But, again, I still think you got to put Alabama at the top the way that they've recruited. And, of course, they still got the best coach in football.
3: All right, you got Missouri down the list here at 5.5. Any flack for that one? Because Missouri's got a ton of momentum here and very uh, favorable schedule as I'm looking at it here next season.
0: They do, and did catch some flack for that. And, you know, Missouri, if, I've always said, if anybody since – the 2012 expansion of the SEC has done more with less. It's Missouri. And what I mean by more with less is when you go by recruiting only, roster talent, Missouri's down the list in the SEC. But, you know, you go back to Gary Pinkle and what he was able to do, the way they were able to play offense and move the football, that continued on after Pinkle. Uh, you know, kind of took a step back there with uh, Drinkwich for a little bit. But, I mean, you look at what they've been able to accomplish. They've got a really nice quarterback coming back. They've got, as you said, some pieces offensively coming back where uh, they'll be able to score some points. And then they do have a favorable schedule. Uh, I just, you know, I think Tennessee's going to be better and Tennessee's going to give them fits. Obviously Florida, and then you look at Georgia. Uh, But, I mean, the thing about Missouri is Missouri has been able to go out and grab a game every year that they typically don't get, or at least, you know, on, on most years they've done that. So at five and a half, I could definitely see them finishing six and six. I could definitely see them finishing seven and five. There's a couple again, like Kentucky ball games. It's going to be one possession type ball games for Missouri. And if I was playing Missouri at the local casino, I would take the over on that number.
3: All right, final two here. You got South Carolina four and a half, Vanderbilt three. Give our fans some optimism here for South Carolina Vanderbilt. Why potentially they, could they exceed those expectations?
0: Well, let's let's start with with South Carolina. I mean, you know excitement for a new head football coach, maybe finding the right mixture at quarterback and getting the mojo at, at, you know on the offensive side of the ball. They've got some talent there. I mean, you know, South Carolina has recruited, you know, inside the top 30. They've got a nice roster. It's just trying to put everything together at South Carolina. Uh, you know, it it never helps though that they have to play Georgia and South Carolina annually.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: you know, I just I can't imagine what it's like for South Carolina to be in the same state as it's Clemson and to be, you know, witnessing what's been going on with Dabo Sweeney, it means the same way with, you know, very similar to Auburn and Alabama. The only difference is Auburn has been able to, you know, get over on Alabama a, a couple of times, two or three times. So for South Carolina, they very well could end up at five, it, or, or maybe even, you know, if you're optimistic six, that would be an amazing feat, I think, for Shane Beamer to get them to a bowl game in year one. You know, they, they're going to have to do, they're going to have to do the deal though in, in, the, in the East. They're going to have to beat Vanderbilt and Kentucky. They're going to have to beat Tennessee, uh, which they'll probably be an underdog in that game. And then they're going to have to beat Missouri. I mean, you get it four and then win a couple non-conference, then you're there. But they just haven't been able to do that. For Vanderbilt, it's, it's literally about, you know, playing the best football that you can play. Uh, you know, we know that they've got a talent deficiency there. It's extremely tough to recruit to Vanderbilt. And, you know, there's been some struggles there off the field as well. So, uh, you know, it's interesting that they're on a quote-unquote, and I didn't know this until you said it on my show, a quote-unquote 10-year plan. So I, I don't know, you know, what the expectations are inside that building up there in Nashville. But uh, you know, maybe they get uh 3 wins, maybe they get 4, maybe they get a, a win in the SEC. Uh, you know, if, if you know, you got to you got to pull for Vanderbilt and hope that they do. I mean, you don't want to see them continue to get buried every year. So, those two teams though, right now, uh you'll see that when Vegas rolls this out will be, you know, the two lowest win totals in the in in the conference.
3: All right, Jake, I want to get you out of here on this. We just want to ask you one more thing. You're very plugged in to Mississippi State and Ole Miss and what's going on in that state. You got listeners calling into your show, the afternoon drive. Do you know if the Egg Bowl, is that moving to, to Thanksgiving? And just what's the fan base, you know, do they want the game on Thanksgiving? What can you tell us about that?
0: All signs point to Thanksgiving. I, I have not seen an official announcement, but that's the, the all signs point to that. You know, I think it's split 50-50. Uh, On the Thanksgiving deal, you know, back when uh, they, they really started doing this back in the late 90s when ESPN was putting, you know, the Thursday night games, it was one Thursday night game and you didn't have the SEC network and you didn't have all the access that we have now to play on Thanksgiving was really special. I mean, I was in college at Mississippi State when when they started this and it was really a treat. to to do Thanksgiving in the Grove or to do Thanksgiving, you know, at Mississippi state prior to what they called the junction, but it was still the same tailgating area. Now with all of the access and and the fact that you can watch games, I think people have kind of gotten spoiled on television and people, a lot of people prefer a Saturday ball game where they don't have to disrupt the Thanksgiving day plans or travel plans. So Mm -hmm. I, I think it's 50, 50. I know the excitement level used to be much higher on a Thursday night. And look, let's be honest back when, this whole thing started. Jackie Sherrill was rolling out, you know, nine, 10 win teams. They had come off an SEC Western Division title. Ole Miss with Tommy Tuberville and David Cutcliffe, they were having uh, really good runs in the SEC West, and you know Eli Manning was coming on the scene there at at, at Ole Miss as well. So different day, different era, so to speak. Um, but I mean, regardless, it's still the Egg Bowl, and, and regardless if it's Thanksgiving or not, I mean you're going to see as long when they when they unleash the you know the, the fans back in the stands, you're going to see. Packed fans in the you know in the stands, so to speak, because people want to see what Mike Leach is going to do and what Lane Kiffin going to do.
3: Yeah, I can't wait for that. All right, thanks for joining us. He's Jake Wimberly. Got to give him a follow at Jake Wim on Twitter and go on over to cfbourglass.com to check out the over the over under win totals and a lot more. Jake, thanks for joining us. I really do appreciate it.
0: Michael, thank you so much. Talk to you soon.
3: All right, so some terrific stuff there from Jake. Hope you guys really appreciated that. I mean, it's true. I was joking with him. When he put these things out, if you missed it, uh, this was Monday. I was tweeting out about the over-unders, and, man, so many of you guys were hitting me back. And what about Kentucky's number? What about Tennessee's number? What about – what do you think about Florida's number? Audit, audit on. I know it's uh, you know the tail end of March here, almost April. College football may seem really far away, but just me hopping on there and shooting the shit with some fans like you guys, talking some SEC football, got me fired up for the season. And, man, I was feeling good. (laughs) Very appreciative of Jake hopping on the line. You can find uh, links to his work in the show notes. But, uh, hey, guys, that's all I got on this one. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, if you made it this far, you wouldn't mind giving going a step further, giving us that five-star written review on the Apple Podcasts app and send that on over to ThatSECPodcast at gmail.com. That's how I get a koozie to you, free of charge. That's just our way of saying thanks. You can also DM us on Twitter, either uh, the ThatSECPodcast or SECMike. Just follow either one of us, and uh, shoot us a DM. That's another way you can get that information to us. But I, I've seen we've had a couple reviews here lately. Want a koozie, but I need I need addresses here, guys. You, you wouldn't believe how many people email me, hey, I want that koozie. But they don't give any information on shipping. So happy to do it. Just need that information. So shoot that on over one last time to podcast at gmail.com. That's going to do it on this one. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you on the next one.